You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Hello, everyone, and welcome on in. It's Rick. What a great show planned for you today with a gentleman I have never met before, never worked with before. This will be the first time ever. He is a producer. He is with a record company, which I'm assuming, Stuart, you founded the company yourself. His name is Stuart Epps, E-P-P-S, and he is with Epps records and we're going to get into more of that including their latest single that they have as soon as i bring Stuart in come on in Stuart, and say hello if you would okay i'm here this is Stuart epps from a small village in england called cookham you would pronounce it in berkshire england very good now you have discovered a lad that they are referring to and i quote the new elton john and you are are more right, yeah. yeah you're more than a person to just make up that name or that slogan because you actually as i understand it have been told you had something to do with the original elton john that everyone knows and what would that be well absolutely i mean it, it's uh you know it's a fairly in-depth long story because it it's uh it started in 1967 and it went on for about 45 maybe 50 years from then but basically i met elton john who was then called reginald dwight reg in 1967, I was the office boy for a, a company called Dick James Music, who you might not have heard of. But oh, they no, were I've heard of pretty Dick good James. Because they, yeah, I've heard uh, of him. Well, anyway, we were the bit. Yeah, well, Dick James Music was the Beatles music publisher. Reg Dwight was signed as a, as a young uh, singer-songwriter, and I was the office boy, but then became disc cutter and worked in the studio. As soon as I met him, you know, we became good friends. He played me some music on the piano. I decided from then on that I... Uh, I was going to not pursue my career as a singer-songwriter, but I wanted to work with this guy because this guy was brilliant. His songs were brilliant, got a great voice. So I then started working with him. Uh, we, we formed a record company called DJM. I was working for the head of DJM. I actually toured with Elton when I was only 18. I hadn't been to America before. I met uh, Elton and the band, and I was looking after Elton on a three-month tour of America, and I'm sure we came to your town at, at some sometime then because we we hit pretty much all the towns but at that time he was relatively unknown and uh, it did take several years of working quite hard to try and get people to listen to this new artist they really didn't want to know Elton John was a very strange name in America as far as they're concerned a John is where you go to the uh, to the toilet actually so Elton John is a bit of a funny name but anyway they got used to it and what they certainly did was loved his music they loved him he, he started performing with the three-piece band with Nigel Olsen and Dee Murray and the American audience took to took to Elton like they never did in the UK and so now things were really happening we were releasing more and 
Animal Records. Going forward quite a couple of years, we formed our own record company called Rocket Records, which I was one of the first people to work for. And we started signing new artists. Uh, Elton was now doing very well, and uh, we wanted to find artists that could maybe do similar things to him. And so, as you were saying, uh, you know, I've, I formed this Epps record label. I've been rec- producing for many years with different artists, Led Zeppelin, uh, not just Elton, but um, Bill Wyman. I worked with George Harrison and uh, Barry White, all sorts of artists, really, in, uh, from America and from England. But uh, I've started up this new label because um, new artists were coming to me and and um, I'm always listening out for the next Led Zeppelin, the next Robbie Williams, or the next Elton. And this uh, this mother came to me about her young son who had been on a show called The uh, the Voice in the UK, Voice Kids, and done very well. And um, I listened to a couple of tracks, and I, I immediately realized this guy's got a great uh, voice, especially when she said he's only 15, which these days is very, very young. So he came to the studio. Uh, there was one particular song that actually he'd written uh, called This disappear and we we recorded it i played everything on it actually i'm the musician on the on the track we got on brilliantly in the studio i mean this guy for his age is extremely switched on as in terms of his musical ability he's one of the best singers i've heard in a long time and we got on very well i was very very happy to work with him so i definitely wanted to release this on my record label so we've we've done that and we're promoting him all over the place and you very kindly uh, have put me on the show to talk about him and i think you've got him on the show as well so um that's it well it is a pleasure to have you and you're indeed right thank you i definitely wanted you on the program to discuss this because at the same time in i in just a few hours from now i will be recording not one but two knockout finalists from the United States, USA version of the television program, The Voice. That is an NBC. You've heard of NBC television. They have that show in America. Yes, we have it. Yeah, Uh, of course. And we're going to bring in both of those gals. Actually, they're sisters. And we're going to bring them in. Oh, yeah. Yes, and their father as well. Well, I'd like to hear them because, um, you know, having been producing all these years and been lucky enough and lucky to work with some brilliant artists, I love listening to embryonic talent, uh, whether it's embryonic or whether it's fully formed. I love making records still. That's what I wanted to also say, that uh, I've set up this Epps Records label now for artists that I produce, not just for other people's uh, productions, but mainly with artists that I produce so that I I can try and um, push them forward with my, I've got various music platforms as well and, uh, you know, very passionate about music. So, you know, if there's any artists out there that are looking for producers, because it's not, it, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure you know what a record producer is, but um, some of the youngsters out there, they, they maybe don't even know what a record producer does, you see. And some people think it's like a film producer. They're the ones that put up the money, but it's, it's actually not. It's more like a film director and that a record producer is the one that uh, goes does everything actually to do with making the record from finding the artist maybe to arranging it to maybe playing on it or organizing the musicians to getting the sound in the studio and putting the whole thing together. So um, I always want to try and explain as well how necessary it is sometimes to have a record producer because sometimes it's not possible for the artist to do everything themselves. They try and do everything themselves these days the youngsters and uh, it's not always easy or possible and a lot of times the young
youngster, actually, or the adult, as far as that goes. A lot of times they just don't know the proper protocol on how to make a professional record. Would that be fair? Yes, that's true. Absolutely fair. I always say that you could possibly count on your hands the amount of artists from the past that have been able to do everything as far as write the song, write the lyrics, produce the record, engineer it, you know, um, sing it, do the backing vocals. It always used to be, for me, the best music was made by teams of people. And even Elton John himself, in the early days was writing his own words and then realized and people were telling him, you know, these aren't really good enough. So he put an advert in the paper and it was answered by a young chap who was a great friend of mine called Bernie Torpin, who for the next 50 years wrote Elton's lyrics. And uh, I think probably without that, there's a possibility you might not have heard of uh, Elton John because um, they became this amazing writing unit. But, uh, you know, like I say, if you can't do something yourself, you know, you have to call in someone else maybe or get in the professionals and uh, whatever it takes to really make the product the best it can be. Okay, let me state an album which I am the owner of, and I just want to see if you, right. if you've heard of it. I have a copy yes. of it here. I've had it for years. It's called Empty Sky. Uh, of course, of course, I've heard of it, and uh, in fact, my name is written on the back of it. <laughs> what the, and what does it say by your name? Well, it actually says that I helped guard the studio because uh, this is very early days. Empty Sky is the very first Elton John album. He actually did record an album before that, but it wasn't released. So Empty Sky is really the very first album. It was produced by my Steve Brown, who I was working with very closely uh, eventually. But actually, at this time, I was still just the office boy and running errands. But um, when Elton John came in to make Empty Sky, I was sort of part of the security, if you like. So it was very nice. He put my name on the back. He spelt Stuart wrong, so he crossed it out. He spelt it with an E-W, crossed it out. But I'm very proud of uh, having my name on the very first uh, Elton John album. And that Empty Sky album is a a great, great album. You know, I mean, Rick, I can talk about these things for for hours and hours. But uh, one one big thing is that Empty Sky, you see, was, um, was produced by my great friend who really discovered Elton, did a lot for Elton, called Steve Brown. He produced that album but when it came to making the next album he only wanted the best for Elton and Elton had written these songs your song was one of them which you obviously know and uh, they were sort of semi-classical songs so he looked around and he looked around and he found uh, an amazing arranger called Paul Buckmaster who was a pretty crazy guy but very very amazing arranger and it was Paul that suggested he said have you got a producer and Steve said well I was I would rather find another producer for this album so he found a gentleman called Gus Dudgeon and uh, Gus Dudgeon who I worked with for many many years became then Elton's producer but he produced the next album which if you compare the Elton album that came after Empty Sky is an amazing jump forward in terms of sound and arrangement and technology and uh, everything really it was quite a difference and it made all the difference to Elton's career, uh, although it still took a while, but eventually it took off and everyone loved the productions that Gus did. And he produced Yellow Brick Road and uh, all those great albums in the past. So, And I worked at Gus Dudgeon, actually built a studio from where I'm speaking now in Cookham in Berkshire. Spent about $2 million on it in 1974. And Gus Dudgeon, unfortunately, he died. He was killed in a, in a road accident. But Gus was an amazing producer. And I try and emulate him whenever I can and I 
often think about his productions, he would just take, you know, like I say, he took a young Elton who was sort of singing his heart out on MC Sky, but he took him to the heights, really, with the things that followed. I have seen Gus's name on album after album for yes. Elton John. That's right. <laughs> and Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my, oh, my. But at least as a yeah. young DJ years ago coming up, you got to admit, definitely, Stuart, I was on my game to have Empty Sky, and I was delighted. I yes. had to go to England and have them ship it over to me. So I can talk about Elton for many, many hours, many hours. I know the whole story. But what I would like to say is that it was me that made up this um, this this statement that he could that uh, Liam you know could be the next Elton because the thing was that I spent so many I looked after Elton on many tours so we almost lived together and apart from that I was in the studio with him a lot so I spent a long long time with him and went through all these albums with him and when I was working with Liam although you see the thing is that Liam's five years, six years younger than Elton was when I met him. But still, there was some sort of similarity. First of all, Liam is an amazingly technical, technically brilliant singer. You know, he sings perfectly in tune. He's extremely good. He's like a little machine with harmonies. And, and Elton is the same, you see. He's, although Elton... Um, went to the Royal Academy of Music. So he's also a classic, a classical uh, pianist and he's very, very well up on, on music, uh, musically on the piano. And maybe Liam's not quite there yet, although he's getting there. But in terms of just, I don't know, just personality, you know, Liam's very outward. He's very good on stage and he's so passionate about the music. That's all he wants to do. So I don't know. I sort of got tingles a little bit when being with Liam that he reminded me of a young Elton, which is why I made that um, I made that comparison and that statement at the same time. Of course, you know these days Elton is so huge. You know he's one of the most famous people on the planet, and uh, he sold you know whatever it is, quarter of a million, quarter of a billion, I should say, <laughs> quarter of a billion records probably. You can't imagine that anyone could go to those heights. But to be honest, we had no idea that Elton would ever reach those heights, and and he didn't either. I mean, um, we're going out live or we're going out recorded at some point, but I don't mind saying that, uh, you know, Elton actually didn't even imagine that he was going to be a singer. You know, he was going to be a songwriter, uh, basically, in in the early days before, even before he recorded Empty Sky. You know, he was writing songs, um, songs for Europe, songs for Eurovision, and I think he just really wanted to be in the business, you know, and, and he he only imagined that that would probably be um, writing songs. You know, he was playing a piano in someone else's band. But actually, I, I was involved as well, trying to get other people to record his songs, and they weren't they weren't very they weren't queuing up to do that. So it was put to him that maybe he should actually sing his own songs, which you know it took him by surprise. But he he. <laughs> He started doing it. He got hit. He wouldn't approach anything with everything he did. He had to do perfectly. He had to do brilliantly. So he learned to do that. And then, of course, the the question was: He'll have to go out and tour. He'll have to get on stage and perform these songs if we want to sell any records. And he didn't really want to do that either. But being Elton, he was up for any challenge. So he said, "Yeah, of course, I'll do that." And as we know, it's now history. But it wasn't easy for him to start with. You know, he'd go on stage or he'd play at a club or a university or a college and people were just talking not interested so I I think the interesting thing is because now we're having it's very nice of you to have Liam on the show but it's quite hard
hard still to get anyone to listen to a new artist. You know, they all want the, the, what, whoever's number one and there's got to be, oh, what have they done or what has she done? Why should we listen to someone new? And, uh, and you were talking about these, this, these girls that are coming on your show who are, uh, who are on The Voice. Well, these programs, I think, are great, really, because they, they have been a great platform for new artists going on the TV, uh, going out to millions, which in the past wouldn't have been possible. So I'm all for The Voice and um, X Factor and all these sort of programs that give people this chance. Excellent. Very, very well. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to our guest today. His name is Stuart, and that's not (laughs) S-T-E-W. No, it's S-T-U-A-R-T. A-R-T. That's, That's right. right. Eps. E-P-P-S. Well, I'll tell you this silly story first, but then you must ask me some questions, uh, Rick, if there's anything you want to know about any of the other artists I've worked oh. with. And, uh, and I was sort of laughing, really, because when I used to tell Americans, uh, what's the name of your artist? I say Elton John. And they go, John? John is the, that's the name that they use as a, a washroom in, uh, I'll use the, the nice term, a washroom in America. And um, But I went actually on tour with Elton. Aged 18, I mean, it's a ridiculously young age, but uh, Elton always needed someone. There needed to be someone to check in at the hotels and make sure he's okay and look after the dressing rooms. And I was uh, fortunate enough to go with Elton and the band on a three-month tour of America, and and we just had an amazing time. We loved America, you know. We took America to our hearts and Americans took us to their hearts really they took Elton to their hearts and they still do I mean American fans I, I just got to say you know they're the best in the world they, they go out to a concert to have a good time they don't go out to a concert to sort of criticize or to pick holes you know they're just going to have a good time and if the artist on stage has a good time with them that's 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 a done deal you know and that's definitely what happened when Elton played to American audiences and I was only going to tell you a silly story because, you know, us English, we come to America and because uh, everyone's speaking the same language, we think we're all very similar. And so people would say to me, oh, what's your name? What's your name? And I'd say, Stuart Epps, Stuart Epps. And they go, what is it? And I go, well, Epps, because I always had a problem with that name anyway. And they said, no, we got that name. What's your first name? And I say, well, Stuart, Stuart. And they go, Stu, Stuart you and I'm thinking I can't believe this they, they, they're not getting my first name anyway eventually we get to Stuart <laughs> yeah. Stuart oh your name is <laughs> that's name American is Stuart E-R-T Stuart that's how they would pronounce so I didn't, it yeah so I didn't mess around anymore. I mean, as soon as I just, in fact, we all took on the American accent as soon as we landed in in America because that was the easiest way to get around, really. So, um, and we had a great time. And I'd love to bring, uh, I'd love to bring Liam to America and see how he goes down with the audiences there. That's for sure. Right. I want to let the people know that young Liam is going to be on this this show right here today. So stand by. We're going to bring him in. Stuart is his producer. 
He is the owner of Epps Records, the label upon which the single Disappear can be found. Yes. And uh, young uh, Liam was a finalist on ITV's The Voice Kids television show. Yes. Now, Stuart, is that is that the version of The Voice or one of the versions of the TV show The Voice that is carried in England? Or tell me about ITV's The Voice Kids. Well, I'll be honest with you. I didn't even know that there was a voice. I didn't know The Voice Kids really existed. That's not where I saw Liam. I only heard about Liam uh, in the last, really, it's the last few months. And Liam was on The Voice Kids uh, two years ago. I mean, I've, I've seen The Voice, the normal voice for sort of adults, if you like. And uh, we've also got um, X Factor, where these artists go on. So, you know, I was aware. But since um, since meeting Liam, then his, his, his mother obviously showed me the, uh, the videos, the TV appearances that he did. And, uh, and they were amazing, really. You know, he knocked them dead, really, too. To coin a phrase, he really got them going. And uh, but you see, the the, prob- the only problem with the voice is that these um, that the music that these youngsters are doing is are cover versions. They're not original songs. You know, they're only looking really for singers. They're not look- looking for songwriters. So the only problem with that is that. Um, you can't really make a career out of singing other people's songs. You know, you've got to be original, really, when you're releasing records. And so it took a couple of years for him to sort of start getting into writing. And the amazing thing is that Disappear, which you're going to play later, is his first song, pretty much, the first song that he's written. So it's not a bad start, really. And um, I could let you into a little secret, don't tell anyone, but we're at the moment working on a, a new song which uh, we're hoping to have out for Christmas. And it would be an amazing thing. I'm, I'm working on it in the studio at the moment. I'm in the studio right now. And Liam has written this brilliant Christmas record. I absolutely love it to bits. And we're hoping to have that finished next week. So you never know. Maybe we can uh, hook up again uh, with you, Rick, and you could play the new Christmas record. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to do that. And Stuart, I want to thank you, even though I'm not done with you yet. I want to thank you just for taking the time to come on across the pond, as they say, and be glad you don't drive that automobile uh, that's spelled J-A-G-U-A-R, because you say that over in England totally different than we do in in the USA. Jaguar. Jaguar. W-I-R-E. Jaguar. And you see the commercials. Listen, Rick. Yeah. Rick, Rick, it doesn't matter how you say it. That's one of my favorite cars in the world. They and have I, an announcer. Until, uh, <laughs> Jaguar. Jag-U-R. Is that, that would be the British listen, way, right? Jaguar. Well, it, it would. I, listen, if you've got one, I don't, it doesn't really matter how you pronounce it. You're very lucky because they're the most beautiful, beautiful car. And uh, I had one up until a couple of years ago. In fact, I had five. Oh. I had five Jaguars. Do they make them anymore? The Are they out time. of business? Oh, absolutely not. Oh, the, I don't them, see them. In, I don't see them in, in America anymore. 
Or is it wow. my eyes? Is it my eyes not seeing them? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the thing is that they're what we call gas guzzlers, I suppose. Although they make, you know, they're making electric uh, jaguars, jaguars or jaguars now. They're making electric ones. Right now, just remind me where you are. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, I was there in about 1972 with Elton John. I was there. Without a doubt. I was at the concert. You You had... No way. You were at our college. You came to our college. You came to a place called Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. It's commonly referred to as Miami, Ohio. Of Ohio, not to be confused, Stuart. Do not confuse it with University of Miami, which is in Miami, Florida. Yeah. Okay, Miami of Ohio. Yeah. Do you remember it being a three-piece band? It was just a three-piece band. No, you had just obtained, I believe, Davy Johnstone. Wow. Well, that's amazing that you know that. Yes, you, you had that. just, yes. it was Nigel Olson on Slingerland drums yeah. that were chrome. Yeah. I know that. Right, I absolutely. have the identical set. And D. Murray on D. Murray on bass, Elton, and the um, brand new member of the band, even before Davy Johnstone. Was yeah. Davy Johnstone, and this was without yeah. Ray Cooper. Oh, absolutely without. That was yeah, early days. Right. Yeah, well I must have I must have been there. I'm sure I was there at that time. There you go. And I will tell Amazing. you one of my favorite yeah. albums by Elton John is and I am going to tell you straight up. I don't know if you had anything to do with it. I hope you did because boy did I love mm-hmm. it then and do I love it now. Mm-hmm. It was an album that he did with the trio and it was called 111770. 1770. I've got a feeling I'm actually singing on that album, believe it Oh, or not. my. The, he because, does the uh, Beatles, Get Back. Get Back, yeah. Well, um, you know, I wasn't at that recording, which was in New York at yes. that time. Yes, yeah, but, it was um, a studio album. It, live, live yeah, in the studio. It. Yeah, live in the studio. But they brought it back to Dick James, and we had a small studio there. And uh, I'm pretty sure I've got a feeling I said they wanted a bit of extra backing vocals. And I think I was singing on maybe Can I Put You On? Can I Put You On? Yeah, People Can I Put You On? Yes. People Can I Put You On? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, that was a great album and still is a great album, really. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Honky Tonk Woman is on there. Yes, all those. And it was, uh, it showed the true power of the trio. I like things stripped down to basics, just like I, I, I like bad company for that reason. Oh, with well, Paul Rogers. There but, you go. It's a stripped down band. There's none of this but, rock opera going on. There's none of the, yeah. and, and I'm not going to call people out because there are people that have done great orchestrations. Stuart, I'm not saying yeah, there's not a place for that. It's just, yeah. I like from the Beatles, from that four person perspective guitar bass drums two guitars bass drums even i'll take the dave yeah. clark five where they had the basics yeah. plus a saxophone at it i'll go with that but absolutely 
I like things yeah. stripped down, and I felt that the trio yeah. with Nigel and D. Murray was some of the oh, finest yeah. years Great. of Elton John. Yes, now, absolutely, uh, Rick. But anyway, it's interesting because you just mentioned Paul Rogers then. No, oh, I, I love don't him. remember telling you that I. Yeah, but I don't remember telling you that I worked with Paul. No, I did not know that, yeah. but I have seen Paul Rogers with Bad Company. Yeah. I have seen him with his yeah. own band. And right. I remember well, years ago when he was with Free, and he sang All with Right free, Now. Yeah. yeah. Now. Baby, well, it's All that, Right uh, Now. Yeah. Well, what you might not know is that Bad Company signed to Jimmy Page's label called Swan Song. And when when I worked for I worked with Jimmy Page for five years from 1981 for till about 85 86. So that's how I met Paul Rogers because he came to the studio. And actually, I, you probably do know this that eventually Paul Rogers and Jimmy Page formed a band called. The it Firm. was called the Firm, and they had a single out yeah. called Radioactive. Yeah. Well, you're I'm talking radioactive. Radio. Oh, you. Yeah, but you hey, were in on that with the Firm. To, I recorded, yeah, I recorded that whole album, Stewardette. Right, I have we the 12 inch single on it. It was in a red wow. uh, jacket with black lettering uh, on it, uh, radioactive well, by the firm. Yeah, that's my wife's favorite track. But anyway, we recorded radioactive about um, 500 meters from where I'm sitting now. And uh, I also worked with, um, with Paul Rogers on his first solo album. He's the well. He's definitely, if not the very best singer on the planet, he's very close to being the very best singer in the world. Really, he's no one like Paul. He's amazing. I had the lead singer of one of our boogie woogie southern rock bands, uh, Leonard Skinner, on here. Not Ronnie Van oh, right. Zant. Yeah, I had really. Ronnie Van Zant's yeah. brother Johnny. He oh, said, brilliant. as far as he is concerned, this was years ago, back before he was yeah. singing. He he. He had the Johnny Van Zant band, and they were on uh, David right. Geffen's label at the time, Geffen oh, yeah. Records. Yeah. And he said Paul yeah. Rogers was a man that he always looked up to. Paul and I spent a lot of time together. And the thing with Paul is that uh, when we were doing this Firm album, uh, not the Firm, sorry, when we were doing, yeah, Jimmy Page and the Firm, I set up a microphone out in the studio, really as a, a, so that so Paul could sing with the band, which was Jimmy Page and Tony on bass, can't remember his surname, and uh, Chris Slade on drums. And we did this at the Mill Studios I was telling you about, where which was built by Gus Dungeon. And I just set this mic up so that Paul could sing along. But the incredible thing is that the vocals that he did when singing with the band were so brilliant, as he always is brilliant whenever he sings, is that those are the ones that ended up being the... Uh, the masters you know and radioactive was probably in one take singing live with the band and we did a if you've got the album it doesn't sound like you've got the album but there was a great track on it which i thought should have been the single which you'll know the song because it was you've lost that love and feeling that's the oh, righteous that brothers the righteous yeah, brothers you've got paul that's right but you've got paul rogers singing that on this very first 
firm album doing an amazing job oh, as my. he always did he definitely he's a great guy as well you know he's quite a character amazing guy and uh, no one quite like paul that's for sure no, I'm, I'm pleased you mentioned his name because we weren't talking about him oh absolutely i've also met uh, freddie mercury and queen twice because wow. they actually yeah, came brilliant. believe it or not they came to the nightclub where i was the dj and they did it more than oh, once right, they, right. they did it two years in a brilliant. row because we showed them a very oh, good time. Amazing. They loved the music there. They yeah. loved our club. And so they remembered yeah. it. And the next year when they came back, they requested and we put them upstairs in our, our VIP area. And Freddie Mercury was there. The band was there. And they just loved the place indeed. It was, uh, yeah. it was great to have them. Bill Wyman, I was told, that you had something to do with the bass player of the Rolling Stones. That would be Bill Wyman. What did you do with well, him? That's right. Well, that's right, because, you see, um, Jimmy Page bought the studio where I told you it was Elton John's producer. Jimmy now owned the studio. Unfortunately, a terrible thing happened that after just owning the studio a few weeks, the drummer, John Bonham, was found dead at Jimmy's house in Windsor. And so uh, I was getting ready to, to engineer Led Zeppelin, but uh, that obviously was going to have to wait now where they didn't have a drummer. But um, Bill, uh, Bill Wyman was friends with Jimmy. I guess he was looking for a studio. And they must have, and Jimmy must have said, "Well, come to my studio, the mill." And then we uh, we worked on a solo album of Bill's, another solo album. But then something you might know is that he had a band called uh, Bill Wyman's Rhythm Kings. Oh, I've and, heard of um, them. Yes, yes, have, yes. Well, I did all the albums with the Rhythm Kings. There must be about uh, there was about six six uh, albums and Bill put together this amazing band actually prior to that he had another band called Willie and the Poor Boys uh, I did that um, but the Rhythm Kings had Gary Brooker on it who sang uh, White a Shade of Pale and it had uh, Georgie Fame on it who was, um, who was a great singer in the UK but working with Bill I worked with Bill on and off for about 20 years as well and I toured with him Bill's a very um, interesting character you know he'd often tell you stories about when he was with the Stones and He's a great guy, a great musician, very much into um, uh, sort of 20s and 30s American uh, music, black music, all sorts of music, soul music and uh, rock and roll, obviously. But um, blues, he loves the blues. Bill Wyman loves the blues. Early blues from America. That's where it was invented. You invented the blues, really. I don't think we had much to do with that. So, um, you know, I'm getting I'm getting homesick for America now. I want to come over <laughs> to Cincinnati. I want to come over there. They had the Vox Musical Instrument Company over in England. Oh, right, yeah. And they produced yeah. a bass in the honor yes. of Bill Wyman. It was a teardrop-shaped right. bass, and You're it was right. called the Wyman yeah. bass. Do you remember How that? How do you know that? Oh, I know How that. How do you know that? My friend, I can <laughs> well, I tell must... <laughs> you that I am a Vox fanatic. I know all about it. Oh, I absolutely. Have, I have well, uh, loved Vox equipment for years. Oh, of course, of course, of course. And the thing is that you might not know that because uh, when I worked with Jimmy Page, um, he actually in the old days used all sorts of uh, amplifiers, marshals, this, that and the other. But when we were recording in the studio, the only amp we used was a Vox AC30. Oh, yes. And we oh, used yes. to have that. We used to have that on number 10 or 11 if it would go to 11. And it was 
unbelievably loud and Jimmy would play his um, uh, Telecaster through that. He never really played uh, Les Paul in the studio or a Strat. It was always the Telecaster and I can hear that sound now. It's the most amazing sound when you have that. But you know, all of these Voxes, AC30s, were all different. You know, they all sounded different. Every amp seemed to have a different personality. I'm sure you know that. I'm very familiar with it. Extremely familiar with it. Yeah, that's right. We've got to get together, Rick. Human form. When I was growing up, I I was particularly keen on Ray Charles. Oh, yes. I'm sure you are as well. Absolutely. And didn't he play a Vox? Didn't he play a Vox Continental? Uh, He, every time I I saw Ray, he just played regular a grand piano or baby uh, grand. I've heard him play. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've heard him play Vox Continental. And of course, John Lennon played Vox Continental. Oh, yes, he did. Beatles. And that Continental yeah, organ. because it was a great sound. It was in a, um, he broke it when he was at Shea Stadium because he put his feet oh, up I'm there and his elbow. Yeah, yeah. And it sat in the yeah, because, showroom. Uh, of a of a storefront <laughs> in New York, and they wow. later sold it for for like oh, eighty thousand wow. or something American dollars. Yeah, yeah. It went for a fortune. Amazing, amazing. Because the, and the animals used a Vox Continental. Right, that was uh, Alan Price that did the House of uh, the Rising yeah, Sun. Yeah, you're right. And he took a, a solo yeah, on there Alan. with it. Yeah, yeah Alan Price yeah. from the uh, the animals. From oh, the animals. and the, and the thing is, the Vox Continental. Who 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 was that? Um, uh, uh, House of the Rising Sun. Um, yes. And, and they used it on um, I'm Just a Soul Whose Intentions Are Good. Oh, Lord, please don't let yeah. me be misunderstood. Let me be misunderstood. Yes. Da, 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 there you go. Da, 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 da. Yeah, because the thing is, the Vox Continental's got a very particular sound, and it doesn't sound like a, it doesn't sound like a Hammond. It sounds very particular, and that's why people, I think, still love it. You know, um, I work with Oasis. I don't know if you oh, know. Yeah. No, Oasis. I've heard of I used to the play band. their records years ago. Years ago. Right, yeah. And uh, the guitarist in Oasis, Noel Gallagher, really, he was buying up all this stuff, you know. I sold him a piano, actually. But he would, uh, I think he had a Vox Continental because, uh, and also, you know, one of these, um, uh, what are they called? The ones that uh, the early strings used to play with the early strings sound. A Mellotron. What they're called now. Mellotron. Oh, thank you very much, Rick. A Mellotron. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. He had one of those, yeah. Do you believe me? I kick it old school. I kick it old school, Stuart. I think we both are. Absolutely. We both come from that school. Absolutely. And it's been extremely good talking to you. Very nice talking to you. You're a wonderful gentleman. And I will tell you this. Uh, what Briefly, you were with uh, George yes. Harrison, I was told, from the Beatles. Can you just fill me in on yeah. what you did with him? Yeah, well, it's the same sort of period that uh, when Jimmy Page owned the studio, he's also friends with George Harrison. Uh, but actually, I first met George when... Um, he, uh, Bill Wyman was in the studio and he was producing a band and George just popped by, he just popped by to see Bill. Uh, actually, no, there was another time when I was working with Mick Fleetwood, right. Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac, yeah. Time. Yeah. And George just popped by because I guess Mick had invited him. Uh, you know, they both got houses on, on Maui, actually. I don't know if you know that. 
No. So maybe they knew each other from Maui. And, um, and next minute, George is playing keyboards and he's messing around and I, you know, was chatting to him. And, and of course, it was amazing to, uh, you know, when I'm, I was such an amazingly amazing Beatles fan, obviously. So to have the guy walk into Mouse Studio was brilliant. And, um, he actually also came in, you know, to do a couple of other things. He, he did he did the music to uh, Shanghai Surprise, which was a film that he produced. And um, he came in to do some music for that. And he was only um, they were doing some promo for the uh, for the music. And he was only miming. I've got a, a video of it. Actually, it's on my could be on my website or I've got this video. And um, he was only miming. But I've got George. Harrison in the studio. I'm not going to put him on a SM58 or something, some cheap microphone. So I picked out one of Jimmy Page's priceless, really, U87 Neumann microphones that the Beatles used to use. And so I set him up with this microphone, even though he wasn't singing, he was only really miming. And uh, just to sit behind the glass with George Harrison in front of me in the studio singing or miming. And, and anyway, the guy, you know, George used to have a house near here called called um, Friar Park. It's not just a house. It's uh, it was really castle? like a castle. Is that the castle mansion. on the Thames? Yeah. Pretty much it's like a castle. Yeah, Friar Park. His wife his wife is still lives there with their son. I've met, um, in fact, I met Paul McCartney in this area only about uh, four weeks ago, but I only just sort of said hello because I've never worked with Paul. I didn't really know him very well. But uh, I've met all the Beatles, but George Harrison was just the nicest guy you could imagine meeting. I mean, no airs or graces you know, very down to earth really although he you know i think he said he'd been he said he, i've been a bit busy recently i've been doing some gardening you know and you sort oh, of he think, had the roses perfectly manicured yeah. formal gardens yeah yeah at the ca I mean, at I the castle, he was, he was yeah. He really meant that he was he was telling like probably a team of fifty people what to do on his property. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he really meant. He didn't really mean he had the spade out and he was digging holes in the garden. Total gentleman, and also kept putting himself down. You know, he said, "Oh well, I've done some songs for this film. They're not very good." You know, he's always putting himself down because uh, I suppose in the band that he was famous for, he was number three when it came to uh, singing and songwriting. He had to be number three behind Paul and uh, John. Well, now, there was a but rumor think, uh, going around that he walked out one day and uh, Lennon was upset about it and he said, uh, and yeah. I'm going to paraphrase, but they were saying that, uh, I read a press report anyway, that stated that Lennon said right. if he doesn't get his butt back in there soon, they were going to get Eric Clapton to come in there and finish. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which they did yeah, not do. Right. Harrison came back. I, no, I think it was Harrison that introduced that introduced Eric to the Beatles anyway, because uh, you know he brought Eric down to play on um, while my guitar gently weeps. Absolutely, there. I've had drummer Steve yeah. Ferrone on not only on this podcast, oh, yeah. and I've had him on terrestrial radio as well, both. Yeah, and he recorded right. and toured with George Harrison. 
and yeah, Clapton. Sure did, absolutely. Yeah. So yes, I yeah. he loved George Harrison. He said he yeah, was just he was a, such a lovely guy, a decent, decent yeah. guy. Uh, Stuart Epps. Definitely. Let's remind everybody that the new single "Disappear," which we're going to play a little bit later when we bring on Brilliant. young Liam. It's called "Disappear." Yeah, yeah. It's on Epps Records. Yeah. If somebody wishes That's to get right. that, how are they going to get it? Yes. Explain it to them. Well, it's on iTunes all over the world. The it's name of the iTunes, single, so it's called Disappear. To... Yes. And do you know what, Rick? To hear you say in your fully formed, brilliant American accent, Disappear on the Epps record label. Now, that just does something to me that I can't quite describe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what. If I told you this was the first time I've ever promoted an album or a single, I'd be lying to you, my friend. I did it all, oh, so. all morning yesterday with a gal. I'm yeah. sure you know. I'll guarantee you, you well, must t- yeah, must that? know. Her name, she, yeah. she's had many, many hits. Uh, her name is Susie yes. Quattro. Oh, Susie Quattro, of course. Yes. She's the young lady that used to play the biggest bass guitars on the planet. <laughs> yeah, right. She's five foot two and played a <laughs> bass almost as yeah. big. She says, I'm a little girl well, with a big mouth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, brilliant. I, I loved her. Loved her. Yeah, I've never met her. I've never met her, but whenever you see her on the TV in the old days, you'd think, where does she, why is she, where did she get that enormous bass from? Because you didn't think, well, it's because she was only, I don't know, four foot tall or something. Now she's five too. So she made the, yeah, she made the bait. Well, I was exaggerating. Uh-huh. But listen, I just want to say something. I just want to say something, Rick. Yes. You haven't got just an American accent, okay? What you've got is a DJ's voice. You have that voice. And when you came on, when you first came on the phone, why I said it sounds like a recording is because you you sound like a recording as soon as you speak because you have that DJ voice. Well, bless your and heart. You have that American. Put, put me on record, for God's sake. <laughs> and you have that American DJ voice. But I don't know. You might not have heard of this guy. But at very at the very moment, not today, but uh, yesterday, I was working with one of the most famous DJs in the UK, and his name is Mike Reed. Have you heard no, of him I, at all? I've heard the name, but I've got to be real careful yeah. because the Cincinnati Bengals football team also had a yeah. Mike Reed on oh. there who went into music and oh, he yeah. he played the guitar and sang. Oh, and, no, that's not him. Yeah, no, different guy. Right? But yeah, I've heard I've heard the well, name. This guy, this guy's a great guy. You know, he was a, he was on top of the pops. He's he's possibly not as old. Well, he's not he's not ancient, but he's he's been around for fifty years probably and. And he was in all the big shows and with Cliff Richard. He's done all sorts of things. But he's also got the DJ voice, but he's got the UK equivalent. Right. Like Tony Blackburn, you might have heard of, you know. But when it comes to American DJ voice and American announcer voices, you're the guy that should have been there. Because I used to announce Elton on stage. You know, I used to come on and go, you know, from Rocket Records in England, here's Elton John. But no one can do that better than someone like yourself. Oh, I was the MC for theaters here. Yeah. 
Of course you would have been. But you're a brilliant, gentleman. Brilliant, you're you're brilliant. a very, very wonderful, wonderful show business guy. I'd love to have you back on nice here because we could go on Please again don't. and again. And we're going to bring well, uh, listen, Liam on. And Rick, Yes, sir. Maybe, well, if it's possible to get me on before Christmas and then we can play this big, big hit, I hope, which is going to be uh, this Christmas record for Liam. So maybe I can get in touch with you and we can do that before Christmas. Absolutely. Yes, sir. We'll see what bring we it. can do. And uh, I'm going to bring young Liam on. You don't really yeah, have you've to gotta go. Yeah, you've got to get him now. We're going to get, well, yes, it's, he should. Liam, are you on the line? It hasn't announced him yet. Right. Hello, I'm here. Oh, hey, stay right Hello, where you are. Man. Liam, come on in here. I'm Rick. <laughs> How are you, Liam? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Hey, listen, Liam, I don't know if this is true or not, but I um, I got earphones. I have Sony earphones on my ears. You sound like you're from England. Could that be the case? Yes, I am from England. <laughs> I'll be darned. Congratulations. You were winner of the Open Mic UK under 16 category. You were a teen star runner-up. You were nominated for Best Young breakthrough artist uk and not only that but you've got a new single out disappear produced by i don't liam i don't know if you heard of the man that produced it his name is Stuart epps does that ring a bell and yes it does <laughs> tell me about disappear did you write that uh yeah i wrote disappear in my kitchen and i was writing it as like, well, it's about someone who is like, has fallen in love with someone who is too scared to say and is like in the background and but can't let them go at the same time, if you get what I mean. <laughs> mm -hmm, yes, yes. All right, Liam, you know what? I just want to say thank you, Liam, for coming out and sharing your story. You were on, in America, we have the NBC television network. I have two young sisters. Yeah. that were on there and they they made it to the knockout round and we're going to record them uh, oh yeah they're going to come on the show i am so excited to have you on because you represent the voice in uk and uk is the second yeah. biggest market that carries this show you understand so that's why yeah. it's so important and i'm just glad you have different judges and and the show is different over in uk but all four judges, they turned around in those red chairs when you sang. Isn't that right? Yes, they did. It was really, really cool. Really good. And what did you like about being on TV the most? Um, just the, everything, really, about the whole experience. I never really thought it was going to happen, but sometimes you've got to take risks and hopefully all your dreams will come true or, yeah, and do the best that you can do, really. But it was such an honor to um, be on the show and everything, and it was just literally a dream come true. When your producer, Stuart, refers to you as, and I quote, the new Elton John. Does that sink into you of how good of a compliment that is? Yeah, that's that's crazy. Like to have that compliment from like one of the greatest producers in the UK and everywhere really is just incredible. And to be compared to such an icon as well is 
just unbelievable. Isn't that the absolute truth? Now, are mom and dad supportive of what you have done? Yes, they are very, very supportive. They're always there at every show that I do and supporting me and taking me there and helping me with equipment and everything like that. So, yeah, they're really supportive. That is absolutely delightful. When you heard the (laughs) single that you wrote called Disappear and then it was finally done and complete, what did you feel inside the first time the total package was released for the public? you say wow what a good job or what went through your head it was it's just it was such a massive shock to me how it turned out because obviously i've never really produced any songs before with anyone and when i did it with stewart it just turned out way way better than i expected it to turn out and it was and i was so excited to release it to everyone everyone was so happy to hear it and i had a really good reaction off it so it was really really like exciting and everything so yeah that is true now do you intend on staying in music and show business as a career or is this just a chapter in your life where you're going to move on yes this is 100 percent what i want to do i want to stay in uh, my music career and uh, develop from where i am now and hopefully reach out to as many people as i can and show everyone the music that i create and how i sing and what i've worked on really that is wonderful you have been described as a gentleman that has and i quote the best pitch ever now where did you get the pitch that that is that is on key you don't you don't use the auto tune i'm going to i'm going to take a wild guess and say that liam does not need auto tune on his voice would that be correct yes i, I don't use auto tune at all and when i'm recording with stuart he gets absolutely blown away <laughs> he can't believe that i can like work so well with no and like, because I'm obviously so young, and he's worked with people that have been in the music music industry for so long. Like, it's just he he was really shocked on how I can keep straight notes and like sing properly, basically. That is absolutely remarkable, Liam. If somebody wants your new single, it's disappear. We're gonna show them right now what that single is about. So let's let everybody listen yes absolutely thank you (laughs) all right it is on epps records everybody epps produced by mr stewart epps the single is called disappear written and performed by liam price and here it is Turned into two Just saw you there thinking How cute are you Knowing how you and me Were meant to be Just you and me Running wild and free Unknown thoughts Running straight through me Thoughts about how we were nearly 16 When I first swore to myself And I wouldn't be without you near And I just need you, baby, talking about me I never knew how hard it would be 
to sit without you near But that was the case, I was put in my place I never knew how to get you here Couldn't even get you near I'm fearful of running away, it's unclear But I can't let you single there the best of luck liam if somebody wants to get that single how would you recommend they do it i know it's on amazon it's probably all over the world isn't it any venue that they want to go to they can find it right yes 100 percent. you can find it on spotify itunes amazon music and hopefully we're going to release it on youtube soon as well do you enjoy being on with the djs throughout england and so forth around the world that have been promoting your product Yes, it's it's really cool and it's it's so unbelievable the fact that all of this has came from just a song that I have wrote literally sat at my piano in the kitchen to to this now with Stuart and promotion companies and like everyone really and everyone enjoying the song and my music being out there that's my own and not covers because I usually just do covers so it was such a like really unbelievable thing to me. You are a brilliant talent. It is- an absolute pleasure to have met and spoken to you liam good luck to you in the future perhaps you're going to have another release and you and i will meet again along with Stuart, and we'll promote it for you is that okay yeah 100% thank you for having me absolutely at this time liam you know what i think would be a good idea i think it'd be great if you just say good night liam 
All right, everybody, that's young Liam Price. His new single is Disappear. It is on Epps Records. Also, thank you to Stuart Epps, the producer, the man who discovered Liam and put out the record. It's available everywhere. The single is called Disappear. This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself, producer, Stuart Epps, and Liam Price, the man who you just heard sing Disappear, his latest single. I want to say it's been a great, great show. Thank you to everyone. Have a great night, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you, Angie. Bye. Bye-bye. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.